All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. It's great to have you here uh, for this season of worship that we're going to enjoy together. So just a couple of announcements real quick. We have a baptism service in three weeks. Uh, it's very likely that if you desire to participate in that service, you need to make sure you're signed up for that today so that uh, we can have the meeting with you and discuss uh, what baptism is about. Uh, next Sunday morning, our Sunday school classes begin at 9.30. So we have classes for young people. We have an adult class that Doug Finkbinder is leading called God's Perspective on Sexuality. So just in the midst of the, the maze of confusion in our culture, we'll be addressing that uh, very important topic from a biblical perspective so that you have an understanding of that. Louise Hyde asked that we uh, keep her son Mark in prayer. He was in an accident. And then also Carol Sutherland, who always sits to the back there, is really going through a difficult season. So we want to be lifting her in prayer this morning as well. And I think one other thing is if you have an interest in teaching in the lower level age-wise, like first and second grade, there's a need for a teacher in that age group. So make sure you see Scott Thompson after the service if you want to help with that or just contact one of the pastoral team members so we can get you in touch with him. All right, let's... uh, Pray together, and then I'm going to read a psalm as we move into our season of worship. Our Father, we thank you that we can bring our needs and burdens before you today. Lord, we have a lot to be grateful for and thankful for. Uh, Each one of us that's here is probably enjoying some reasonable level of health and able to come out and enjoy this service together. I pray for those that are watching online. Uh, that your blessing and favor will rest on them as well. I pray for James as he brings your word this morning, that it would come with clarity and with the appropriate level of conviction, repentance, and change of our hearts so that we will be, Lord, more for your glory. Uh, Let your word do that work in us today. We pray for Mark, uh, Louise's son, and for healing after the accident that he was involved in. We just pray. A really rich blessing over him, over Carol Sutherland, as she is uh, now home from the hospital today, just in, very, in a very difficult situation, Lord, in her later years, wanting to be home with you. So, Father, we, we lift her up and pray that your will would be done in her life and that you would continue to use her as you, as you have for years. We lift up Diana Kelly before you. And, Lord, just my simple statement is, God, I have faith to believe that your hand can heal. And I pray that through the circumstance that she's in the midst of right now, her, Victor, the family, that your just extreme favor and abundant presence would be just known to them, Lord, uh, through this season. So I ask that your favor and blessing would rest on her as well. And for those uh, in in and around our church family, uh, various friends that have been struggling with COVID, Lord, we pray for relief and healing for those that have struggled deeply over the last couple weeks. Pour your favor now over our season of worship, Lord. We have prepared, and we are bringing to you a song of praise this morning, and we want to do that for the glory of Christ. And we pray this in his name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to read Psalm 34. Psalm 34 says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart in him. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Here's what the psalmist says. Exalt his name together, for I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me, and he freed me from all my fears. May that be our heart this morning as we worship him.
is a name who reigns without contention, whose power can't be questioned or contained with humble faith. He rules the earth and heavens, his glory knows no measure or refrain. And it's bursting past the borderlines of space. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. Jesus, you're the King and you're the center of it all.
something that we cannot comprehend and rightly. God, I just, I ask this morning, Father, that as you've prepared our hearts with this worship, Lord, that um, you would open our hearts further with this message on anger, Lord. A topic so important for us to be able to properly witness that I just ask, Lord, that you would um, just make us humble with this message and with this topic this morning, Father. Thank you for it. Thank you for this time of worship. And we just ask that you would uh, do all these things and bless James as he comes in Christ's name. Amen. Now, children, you could be dismissed for junior church. 
Uh, For the rest of you, would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs? So uh, if you've been here over the last several months, we were working through an exposition in the uh, book of Daniel, and then we did an exposition through the book of Malachi, and that's the way we normally work. We normally work through books, and in about a month and a half, we'll be starting an exposition that will go on for months um, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, But every once in a while, it is helpful for us to just take a little pause and maybe get a little topical at times. And and try to get a little bit more practical in, in our expositions, and that's what we're looking to do. Uh, I'm going to be grounding um, our work in the Bible, but there are going to be a lot of verses that we're going to try to cover. In, in fact, um, I may have to split this into two sections. Uh, each one of us are going to be preaching twice from the book of Proverbs. Um, I'm not sure how far I will get through mine today, but we'll see um, by God's grace. I want you to think about as we go to the book of Proverbs, that Proverbs is part of the uh, poetry um, section of the Bible. It begins with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. And and that section is what we call, um, uh, I lost my word, I just said it, um, (laughs) poetry, thank you so much, I just said the word, see. I'll never get through all these verses if I can't remember my lines here. So, um, But uh, the book of Proverbs is about poetry. So as you read it, I want you to think about it in that way. Um, oftentimes when we read in Proverbs or the poetries, you will find that one line will be given and then there will be a second line that will be given as emphasis. And it's called parallelism. And that's one of the key things that you will see as you read through the book of Proverbs. Another thing I want you to consider as you read through the book of Proverbs is that the book of Proverbs will give a number of maxims. I often sit with um, people and they'll say, well, doesn't it say here in Proverbs that this, if I raise my children this way, they will turn out that way? And it's like sometimes that just doesn't happen. It's a general statement, general maxims. There are some absolutes in God's word that we need uh, in Proverbs. You know, a weighted, uh, a measure of weight that is out of balance is always an abomination before the Lord. That's an absolute. But as you read Proverbs, I want you to think about them as general maxims and statements that would speak to you. Uh, another thing I want you to think about as you read through this book of Proverbs and as we work through it is that it's about wisdom. It is about not as much about intellectual achievement as it is about application of truth. Uh, One pastor said that we have a lot of very smart, intellectual, dumb people in the world. You, you, You know that, right? There are people that have a lot of intellect. They may have a lot of degrees after their names, but in the final analysis, they are dumb. You would not want them to be in charge. In fact, all you have to do is turn on your news stations at night, and you will see a lot of intellectual and very dumb people. That's, that's not what we're looking at in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is about wisdom. Wisdom is being able to take God's word and apply it deeply in your heart and your life. Uh, when, we started my, when we started our counseling ministry about 30 years ago, my wife and I were sitting down trying to think of a, a passage of scripture that we wanted to uh, make a hallmark of, our counsel, of the counseling ministry. And we chose Proverbs 1, turn there, Proverbs 1 verse 5. So before I get into anger, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, the idea of wisdom. 
look here right in the beginning of Proverbs 1. I'm going to start from the beginning here, and then we'll get down to verse 5. Uh, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealings, in righteousness, justice, equity. Aren't those words that we hear today? And how many people are talking about righteousness and justice and equity, but are not going to God's word to find those answers? Verse 4, it says this, to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discernment to the youth. Let the wise, here's the verse, let the wise hear and increase in their learning, and the one, let the one who understands obtain guidance. And in essence, as, as a person comes to counseling, hopefully they're coming there because they, they are wise and they want to hear. They want to come and increase in their learning. They want to understand more about themselves and more about God. And then the one who understands will obtain guidance, that hopefully their spiritual leader, hopefully me in that case, am guiding them in a God-honoring way because I'm bringing them back to the Word. So that was the key verse that we use for our counseling ministry. Look at verse 6. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, all the things that are there. But here's the foundation. This is covenant living. This is it right here. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear means reverence or respect or awe or worship of God. It's the beginning. It's the foundation of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as you, as you think about this book of Proverbs, remember that it is about wisdom. I want you to remember that there are maxims that are there that um, I want you to also remember it is about not just intellectual ability but application in your life. And as each one of us, as Tim, Doug, and I take topic areas from here, I want you to do me a favor and I want you to, as I go one finger out, three fingers point back, because this topic has been an area that I have struggled with in my past, and I can still struggle with in my present. So I ask that you look at this as a mirror, that you put this up as a mirror in your own life. I, I really don't want you focusing on the person sitting next to you, because it's very easy to focus on their anger or somebody from your past anger. I want you to focus on your own. Because this is one of the major topic areas. You know, some people repress their anger. They stuff it. They deny anger's presence in their lives. And, and in doing so, they become unhealthy and their, and their relationships break down. Some people suppress their anger. And they, what they do is they, they may acknowledge that they're angry, but they stuff it in a, in a certain way. Other people explode in their anger. And when we tend to think of angry people, we tend to think of the person that yells and screams and slams doors and breaks things and punches holes in walls, as I know that some of us have done. The reality is this, that whether you stuff your anger or spew your anger, the question it really is, have you studied your anger? Have you spent time trying to figure out why it is that I am angry? Why am I so angry? See, in the final analysis, we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to go deep and to understand it. 
when you ventilate your anger, when you spew your anger out, what you're going to do is you're going to hurt others, but you're also going to be hurting yourself. Your body gets damaged. How many physical things happen because you have held on to anger or spewed anger over and over again in your life? Their physical symptoms, their emotional symptoms, their relational symptoms with anger that happens oftentimes. So many Christians struggle with it. When you think of anger, there's a power behind anger. When you think of anger, there is a pragmatic sense behind anger. We make some judgments. We make some rationalizations. We make some assumptions in our anger. But in anger, there's a lot of pain. Pain can be um, devastating in our own lives, and pain can be devastating in other lives. Sinful anger always involves pride. There is something that I am elevating about myself more than I am looking to God or listening to you. One thing I want you to consider is this, which may be mind-blowing to you, is this, that anger can be good. Anger can be good. God is talked about as an angry person in the Bible. As we, we see of God's anger and God's justice and God's wrath and God's holiness, God is an angry God. You know, our world wants to create God of a God who is just loving and kind and has no anger. But, but if hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll recognize that real love must be angry. And real anger must be loving as you deal with issues that are in life. The God, as he looks at his creatures and the people that he has created, he loves you, he cares about you, and he sees that sin has a a debilitating effect in your life. And he hates that sin that is destroying people. He hates that sin that is destroying marriages. He hates that sin that breaks apart parent from child, husband from wife. He hates it with a holy hatred. We want a God who hates and is angry at sin. Because if you do not have a God, if you have a God that winks at sin and is not an angry God, you don't really have a loving God at all. So anger at times can be good. Anger is one author. There are two books that I will tell you up front that I really would encourage you. I use in my counseling ministry, so I'll just get them off the bat here. Uh, One is Good and Angry by a man named David Pallison. Good and Angry by David Pallison. Um, He just passed away last year, and he is a a biblical counselor great ministry, and that book is a phenomenal book on getting down to the depth of your anger. The second book that I would encourage you to consider looking at is Uprooting Anger by Robert Jones, pastor and a biblical counselor as well. Uprooting Anger and then Good and Angry, David Pallison on Good and Angry and Robert Jones on on, um, Uprooting Anger. Powelson said this in his book, Good and Angry, about the goodness of anger. He says, that's wrong. That's wrong, and it energizes and it addresses real problems. God, who is good and does good, expresses good anger for a good cause. Jesus gets angry, and good he's good, and he gets angry in the service of mercy and peace. He was willing and able to forgive us for our anger when it goes wrong, and he's willing and able to teach us how to do anger right. So there is a goodness to anger, and that at times your anger may be righteous. 
The reality is that this side of heaven, far too often, our anger is not. So I want you to consider this. We're going to be looking through a number of verses. I'm just going to kind of walk you through a number of verses and just try to give a little commentary on those verses. And then at the end, if I have enough time, I want to come back and try to talk to you about some principles that I'm going to draw out of that. So let's start our our work through Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. Turn there with me. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. It says, The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignore an insult. You you know, what happens is that you can get vexed in your soul. You can get angry over what somebody may do, a slight. More often than not, when you find yourself getting angry, you are finding yourself believing that somebody else is the cause of your anger. You're looking outward and horizontal for the reason why you're angry. But this passage is saying that there is a prudence to overlooking insults. There's some of us in this congregation that find themselves constantly pushed. Their button is constantly being pushed by somebody else. It is always that they are at fault for the way that you are feeling today. And what this passage is saying is this, that it's a fool to live your life constantly vexed because of what other people do. You're going to constantly be hurt this side of heaven. You have broken people all around you. You need to live at peace. There are times that we need to just overlook this offense. It's not that big a deal. Turn with me to Proverbs 14, verses 16 and 17. Proverbs 14, verses 16 and 17. It says this, One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Once again, what we find is this, that this, this wise person is the one who has a fear of displeasing God, is, is concerned about displeasing God, and wants to avoid evil. And so what this person is here is this wise person is cautious. He's turning away from evil, but the fool doesn't think in his heart. He is just reckless. He goes headlong. He's careless. Maybe you're that way with your words. I know I have been at, at times in my past That it's like the stuff spews out of my mouth and all of a sudden I wake up and I say, what in the world were you doing, James? Maybe you've been there, reckless, careless in your words. And he's saying that a quick-tempered, a person who is quick in their temper is acting foolishly. And you're bringing about hatred in your life. Does that sound like you? Let's keep going. Proverbs 14, verse 29, just jump down a little bit further. It says, whoever is slow to anger... This is really big. In fact, I could have titled the message Slow to Anger because I'm hopefully going to tell you that living in a sin-cursed world, you should be angry at times. But the issue is not whether you are angry or not. It's that you're angry for the right reasons and in the right way and that you're slow to anger. That when we abort the number of children that we do in this world, you should be angry. When you're seeing marriages breaking apart in this world, you should be angry. When you see people who are invoking the name of God in godless ways, you should be angry. But slow to anger. Gracious in your approach. Kind. Compassionate. 
speaking gospel to people's lives, living out gospel. That's what we should be doing. Okay, Proverbs 14, uh, 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger is great understanding, but who has been hasty in his temper exalts folly. Once again, Solomon is dealing with this topic of anger. He is discerning that a person who is slow to anger who is not overwhelmingly troubled by the things that happen, is slow in their tempered words, slow in their tempered actions, they are going to be a greater witness for the glory of God in their lives. But if you are hasty and you snap at it quickly, what you will find is greater and greater folly. Wisdom versus foolishness. Wisdom versus folly in your life. Jump down a little bit further. Proverbs 14 has a lot here. Proverbs 14, verse 35. A servant who deals wisely has a king's favor, but his wrath falls on the one who acts shamefully. I want you to think about your work. You go to work, and you may work for a boss that is a non-believer. You may work for a boss who is not a good person. But the reality is this, that God has put you under that person at this moment in time. And what you are called to do and what I am called to do is to live in a God-honoring way regardless of the circumstance. See, when we are looking at that boss and then treating that boss wrongly, all we're doing is modeling exactly what they're doing to us. But if now we're representing Christ and we're representing his grace in your life, what's going to end up happening is that you will have an opportunity to be a light in the midst of this dark place. Turn to Proverbs 15.1. You've heard this one before. A soft, anger, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I don't know why it is we think that if I give you a harsh word, that that will make my relationship better. It won't. I may get you to do what I want you to do in this moment in time. In my anger, you'll respond because I don't want to deal with this nut anymore. So I'll give in to this person. But in the final analysis, it doesn't honor God. A soft answer, answer turns away wrath. The first response that will drive your opponent back and away from you is anger. But what will bring your opponent closer to you, that that he may be open to hearing you, is a soft answer. Don't punch anything. Don't yell. Don't scream. Talk. It's one of the problems that we have in our society today. We just don't talk to one another. We don't listen to one another. We don't. We Twitter. We hit Twitter. Bang, bang. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all these things. And we're just attack, attack, attack. And where's the softness in our answer? Proverbs 15, 18, a little bit further down. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. But he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The point is the same, that a hot-hearted person will cause problems, strife. You ever find yourself really not wanting to be around an angry person. The angry person walks in the room and it's like autom- it automatically you, you could feel you're walking on eggshells. I just, I just, I don't want to be around them. And so, so now what you're doing is you're kind of even moving away. You put your shell up to protect yourself. A hot-tempered man will stir up strife, not only for himself, but also for those that are around. But what happens for somebody that is slow to anger? Slow to anger, a man or a woman who is able to be slow to anger can walk in the midst of a conflict 
And it's just peace. And you can just hear it in how they communicate because they're listening to the person. They're listening to both sides. They're trying to draw people together. They're drawing people to Christ. And what ends up happening is that that person has a powerful impact. I want you to know that you will have a powerful impact for good or evil. You choose. Proverbs 16, 32. Watch this continued theme. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You know, what, what's happening here is that most of us, when we get angry, it's all about power. It's all about might. It's all about strength. I want to be in control. But that's not what he's saying here. If you are a, a person who is able to manage your anger, you will start to recognize that the control is not primarily horizontal and external, but the control is primarily internal. I need to control me. In fact, Scripture says that the only thing that God has mandated for you to control is you. If you remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. See, God is not wanting you to try to control everyone and everything around you. What he wants you to do is to control you. That in the midst of the struggle, if I can control the way I think, if I can control my attitudes of my heart, the way I speak and the way I act, I can have a powerful impact in my life. Just a handful more, and then I'll try to give you some principles. Proverbs 18.1. Whoever isolates Proverbs 18.1, give you a chance to turn there. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. What do you see there? That a person who is angry is somebody who is, one, seeking their own desires, and number two, they're breaking out against all sound judgment. They're not thinking clearly, and they're self-absorbed. And that's where I am in the midst of my sinful anger, and that's probably where you are as well. Proverbs 19.3 goes along the same lines. It says, when a man, I'm sorry, when a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages even against the Lord. If you, if you realize this, that eventually your anger is going to go horizontal, but it has to go vertical. So an angry person is not only angry at the people that are around them or the circumstances they're dealing with, they are angry with God. We see that right back in the Garden of Eden. Adam, when he was confronted with his sin, did what? The woman that you gave to me. She's the reason why I'm having all my problems in my life today. It's horizontal, but primarily it's vertical. It's folly because it will bring you to ruin and will cause you to rage against the one person that can free you from the angry heart that you have, God. God is the one that can do that. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one What? Slow to anger. It is his glory to overlook an offense. You actually see glory in your life when you become a person who is, I can overlook that. I can overlook that. I can let that go. 
That doesn't mean that we don't confront sin. There are plenty of scriptures that tell me that I need to confront my brother or sister when they sin. But this is a place that I tend to in my life, or you tend to in your life, make the smallest things the biggest things. You make the smallest things the ultimate things, and in doing so, you miss Christ. And you miss the opportunity to be Christ in this person's life. Proverbs 19.19 says this, A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. If you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. What's happening in this person's life is that those of us who struggle with anger will find themselves penalized. Maybe you've lost a marriage. Maybe your kids don't want to deal with you right now. Maybe you've lost jobs. Maybe you've gone from one church to another. You are paying penalty. A man of great wrath will pay a penalty. You deliver him, and then he goes back into it, like a dog returning to its vomit, as Proverbs says. We find ourselves, if you do not deal with the heart of anger, which is internal, you will just go back to it again. Proverbs 21 Verse 14, a gift is secret, a gift in secret averts anger, and a concealed bribe strong wrath. This is not, this is not a recommendation to bribe somebody, uh, so don't misunderstand it. So, so what we are looking at is this. You would expect that an angry person will transgress, they will act out. And so what you will do is that if you're constantly giving in to this person's anger and accepting this person's anger, it is, in essence, you are secretly bribing them. And so what we want to see is that we want to attack the anger in ourselves and then graciously deal with the anger in somebody else's life. Man, there's so many Proverbs here. Um, how about Proverbs 22, 24, and 25? Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger. Wow. Nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Some of you have people in your life that struggle with anger, and you just stay with them. Teenagers, young people, some of you have people in your schools that are bullies. And so you tend to think that I won't be bullied if I go with this person. Be very careful. You may have to deal with some temporary struggles in your life, but I will tell you that if you make friendship with this person, you will become modeling after this person. This person, whoever has your ear has your mind, whoever has your mind has your heart, and whoever has your heart has your life. Two more and I'll end my section here. Boy, there's so many good ones. Um, Proverbs 29, verses 8 through 10. Proverbs 29, verses 8 through 10. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs. There is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. 
there was power in, in scorn and there was power in anger. And that danger of anger is that it will go out and attack. And I want you to know this, that if you are in the kingdom of the wise, you may find yourself this side of heaven being attacked. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that are coming upon you as though something strange is happening to you. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you. So I want you to know that we live in a world that is full of scoffers. We live in a world that is attacking those who are wise. They are saying that what is wise is foolish and what is foolish is wise. Last one here. Let's jump to Proverbs 30, verse 33. Interesting one. Proverbs 30, verse 33. For pressing milk produces curds. Pressing the nose produces blood. And pressing anger produces strife. He's, he's in essence saying this. If, that if we go to a cow and we try to milk the cow, we'll get milk. If I squeeze your nose hard enough, I'll get blood. And if I press anger more and more in my life and in your life, I will have strife. You know, for some of us fathers especially... Um, the Bible talks about being very careful not to provoke our children to anger. Uh, I have a desire to be respected. I have that desire. But sometimes that desire, if I am not careful, is like squeezing the nose and blood comes out. Thankfully, I've never laid my hands on my family in that way, but I can do that verbally. I could do that emotionally. And that could be a powerful impact. So, So what do all those verses tell us? Those verses tell us that sinful anger, we act foolishly. So it's not wise when you are acting out in sinful anger. Sinful anger also, it tells us that you can be hurtful in sinful anger. You are destructive of others. You could even be destructive of yourself in the midst of sinful anger. We act foolishly. We are destructive and hurtful. Also from those verses, we learned that in our sinful anger, we do not listen. Have you ever found yourself in an argument where you've already got the points in your head? You're not even listening to what they're saying. You're just waiting for them to stop and take a breath so that you can pile over them. That's what we do. We run over them. We we steamroll them in our lives. We just don't listen. Our anger, we are acting foolishly. In our anger, we are harmful and destructive. In our anger, we just don't listen. In our anger, we destroy. Well, that sounds great. I'm just going to give you a couple of principles that I want you to think about, and then I want to try to figure out how we could try to work through it if I have enough time. First, I want you to know that anger is deceptive. Anger is deceptive. Instead of seeing this as primarily an internal problem, we see it as a horizontal problem. And so what we tend to think is this, the problem is you, I have the answer. So external problem, internal solution. But it's exactly the opposite. The Bible says that it's an internal problem and there's an external and vertical solution, Christ. So anger, sinful anger is deceptive. First thing I need you to see. The second thing that I want you to see is that anger is deep. It is not just about the surface things that are happening around you. It is about what's happening deep in your own heart. In James chapter 4, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? 
At that moment in time, even if I want to be respected, at that moment in time when I become sinful, I want to be respected more than I want to love you. I want to be respected more than I want to love God. And that is a major problem because I am putting myself as God in that person's life. That's a problem. Anger is deceptive. Anger is deep. Anger is destructive. We see that in this passage. It, it just destroys other people, destroys relationships. But anger is like a disease. It's like a malignancy. What you will find is this. If you struggle with anger you will have other sins that will happen in your life. Those people that sit with me that struggle with substance abuse, oftentimes you will find anger underneath the surface. Those men and women that struggle with lust, you will oftentimes find anger underneath the surface. Those people that steal and do other things, all those external sins that you will see, I will ask you to think down. More often than not, if you peel it down deep enough, you will find a root of anger. The Bible says that root of anger will become bitterness in your life and it will defile many. It is deceptive. It is deep. It is dangerous and it likes to get disease. It is contagious. An angry person walks into a room and that anger can spread. David Pallison was really helpful to me in helping me to see that anger is part of your dual nature. Every single person I'm seeing in this room was created in the image of God. So God stamped his image in your life. And there's a sense of morality that is there. There is a sense of justice that is there because God has stamped it into your life. And if you are being led by God or at least the law that has been stamped in you, you look at things in this world and you say, that is wrong. It shouldn't be that way. Well, that's part of God's image into your life. But each one of us also have a nature of sin in our lives. And the nature of sin wants to make much of ourselves and much of my way, my law, my punishment of you. So when you get angry, you need to recognize that it could be part of your dual nature, God's image in your life or your own sinfulness in your life. And that's why it makes anger so complex. I want you to know also that anger is something that you do. It is not something that comes upon you. We tend to think that anger is something that has come over us. You made me what? Angry. If my boss hadn't done this, I would not have been angry. And so what we do is we look at all these external things, but you, anger is something that you do. Your body operates in an agitated state. If you notice, when you get angry, your blood pressure raises, your heart is going. For me, it was gastrointestinal things, muscular things. I don't know what it is. You get headaches. You start to feel these things. It's like raging inside. You're in an agitated state. It's something that you do. Your emotions operate in a hot displeasure. You're displeased. You're distressed. You are troubled about the things that are happening around you. It's not just the physical things that you struggle with. It's not even just the emotional things that you struggle with, but I want you to know this. Your mind in the midst of anger is in a judging mode. You're, you're all of the aspects. We have a police officer over there. We have all of the aspects of the criminal justice system, right? So you've got the, the innocent victim. You see yourself that way. You've got the detective and the investigator. You've got the DA... You've got the judge, you've got the unanimous jury, 
You've got the jailer, the punisher. All of that is you in the midst of your sinful anger. You see yourself as right and them as wrong, and you are judging them in your mind. So it's the feelings that you have. It's the physical things that you struggle with. It's the mindset that is judicial. And it causes you to act. The deepest problem with sinful anger is that you think you're God. And you're not. Pallison offers some of these questions. He's really great at this. He asked this question, when you get upset, what do you want? What does the desire mean to you? Why does the thing matter so much to you? I will sit with clients and they will tell me a week after an argument, they can't even remember what led to the argument. I can tell you at that moment in time, the thing that they were arguing over was not ultimate. Because if you cannot remember what caused you to get so angry, you're missing something. When you fire into anger, what do you believe about the significance of what is happening to you? When you are firing off in my anger, what am I believing about what you are doing to me or the significance of my anger? I love this one. What are you afraid of? At the heart of anger, oftentimes, is fear. I'm fearing that you're going to leave me. I'm fearing that you're going to reject me. I fear that you don't love me. I fear that you're not accepting me. And then I want to try to control you and make you do what I want you to do. So anger is deep. It's deceptive. It's dangerous. It's like a disease. It's something that you do, but it's about desires. I want I want to be respected. Is there anything wrong with that? Not initially. But anger goes wrong when that desire becomes a demand. I must have. See, it's not just that I want to be respected. I must have your respect. Then it goes even further. I need your respect. I will have your respect. And then it goes even deeper. You should respect me. And then I get disappointed because you don't. And now I'm going to punish you. A desire becomes a demand. A demand sets up a need. The need sets up an expectation. That expectation is disappointed. And the disappointment leads to greater punishment in your life. I don't know if any of this sounds like you. So after I've done all of this, I just want to give you a brief definition of anger and then give you some ways that you can hopefully deal with it. Out of the second book that I I gave you, Robert Jones, The Uprooting Anger, he gives this great definition of anger. Our anger is our whole personed, active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil break it down. Our anger is an active response. Once again, it's something that you do. It's an action. It's not something that comes over you. It's something that you're doing. That's so important. It's, it's not a thing. It's not a fluid. It's not a force. It's something that you are doing. Second, it's whole personed. 
it means that your entire being is engaged this anger. It's not just the physical things that you're having. It's the mental, it's the emotional, it's the spiritual things that are at work in your heart and your life. It's whole person. It's active. It's whole person. All of this works in in conjunction. That's why some secular psychology will work only temporarily because what they will do is they'll give you skills to master the thing externally, but they can never get to the heart. They can never expose the pride. They can never expose the need for Christ in a person's heart. What they will do is they will give you some temporary measures, but it won't work. Your anger is active. It's a whole person. It's also about a negative moral judgment. You're making a judgment about somebody. You're judging the way they think. You're judging where them, why they said it. You say, I look good today. Yeah, why are you saying that? You say, I look bad today. Why just say that? It's like always constantly looking deep down in this person's heart and judging them negatively. Do you do that? If you do, and if you find yourself just judging people over and over again, the Bible says this, believe the best about this person. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. See, it's the heart of a person who loves and believes that person and leaves the rest to God. Let God expose the evil in this person's heart. It's not your job to do so. It's whole person. It's an active response. It it is a negative moral judgment. It responds against something, or I should say someone. And whatever we are judging, we are perceiving that to be evil in this person's life. So how do I deal with this? Why am I so angry? I'm so angry because there's something happening within me. The person that is acting out against me may be sinning, but that person is exposing me. We often talk about triggers, but I want you to consider this. People trigger you, but it is your trigger. Did you hear me? People trigger you, but it is your trigger. There is something underneath that they're exposing. My lust for respect is exposed when somebody doesn't give that to me. It's a lust issue. And it's evil and wrong. Is it wrong as a dad to want to be respected? No. But when I make that the ultimate, it is deadly. It's destructive. It's dangerous. Okay, so let's, let's try to figure out how we can fix this. I want to give you an acrostic I love. Those of you that work with me know I love acrostics. So here's, here's the acrostic. Read. R-E-A-D. Read. Recognize the emotion. I want you to do this for me, that in the midst of your struggle... One of the things I needed to do, and my family knows this, I used to struggle badly with my anger. Now what I do, sometimes I'll just kind of remove myself from the room, not to punish them, but to protect them. I need to leave the room and say, okay, James, what is it that you're feeling right now? Sometimes I'll have somebody confront me from the congregation, and it's like I just bite my tongue. James, take a deep breath. What are you feeling? Recognize the emotion. Ken Sandy, in his work um, in relational wisdom, uses this acrostic really well to help us to understand how we can manage emotions. So I'm going to ask you to do that. First, I am angry. I am frustrated. I am feeling insecure. 
I am feeling opposed. I, not you, me. Recognize the emotion. E, evaluate the source. The source is always within you, not outside of you. The outside is exposing the internal. So when you're talking about sinful anger, the reason why I'm getting sinfully angry is because it's me that's the problem, not you. Not that you're not doing wrong. Maybe my children were acting in disrespectful ways. Maybe this person was acting in sinful ways towards me. But that's not the issue today. The issue for me is me right now. I need to evaluate the source of my anger. The source of my anger is me right now. I want something more than I want the glory of God and your love in my life. Recognize the emotion. Evaluate the source. A, anticipate the consequences. I want you to anticipate that, James, if you don't bite your tongue If you don't respond in a loving and kind and gracious way, oh no, James, I've seen this story before. I don't want that record to play again. I don't want that movie to play again in my life. Recognize your emotion, evaluate the source, anticipate the consequences, and then direct your anger, the energy of your anger, in a godly way. Can you imagine if you could just get those principles down and that you could recognize that I am a sinner, Lord, and I am feeling these feelings, and this is coming from me. And Lord, I, I am making much of myself, and I'm trying to put myself in your place in this person's life. I'm trying to change them. I'm, trying to, I'm seeing myself as completely innocent and them as completely... And when you start to see the gospel, you could deal with sin in your life. Let's talk about the gospel as I close. I want you to think about being gospel-saturated in your marriage, gospel-saturated in your homes, gospel-saturated in your relationships. And what do I mean by that? First, I want you to know this, that God's anger for your sin was placed upon Christ. That, That God had the right to pour his wrath and anger for your sin upon you for all of eternity. And what he did instead was he said, I pour that upon my son. At the cross, we see holy love and holy anger coming together at one event. God's great love for you and God's anger at your sin was poured upon his son you. So when you think about your anger, I want you to think about this, that God poured his anger for your sin upon his son. Second thing I want you to keep in mind is this. God not only poured his anger upon your son, his son, to forgive you, but God's anger is given to you in your life to disarm the power of sinful anger in your life. He wants to free you from sinful anger. He doesn't just simply want to forgive you. He wants to free you. That when Christ died on the cross and rose victoriously for you, he wants to capture your heart and he wants to draw you to faith in him and then he wants to make you more like him. God's anger also protects us from the pain of other people's sin. How, James? Because if I can constantly think about the fact that, as Jesus did, he didn't revile He didn't attack. He entrusted himself to his father who judges justly. 
so that you may attack me, but in the final analysis, you will either come to faith in Christ or you will be punished for the sin that you've committed. I can leave that to God. And I can pray that you will come to faith in Christ. God's anger also protects us from ourselves. I have probably caused the majority of the problems in my life. And I can give you a lot of people that have hurt me in my life. But in the final analysis, most of the mess-ups in my life are because of me. And God's anger at those sins in my life has protected me from me. So let me close with this. Remind yourself of the cross. You do not deserve anything from God. You deserve actually wrath from God. And God has poured it upon you, upon his son. There's a depravity that is within you, a sinfulness that is within you. Stop looking at the sins of others. Start to look at your own sin. And remind yourself of the beauty of the gospel. That in the beauty of the gospel, God has set you free and has forgiven you. You remember the uh, parable that Jesus gave? This parable of this man who owed a bazillion dollars to this king. He probably stole it from this king. And the guy begs him, king, please forgive me. Please, please. And the king says, I forgive you. I let this go. I release you. I cancel the debt. Now that guy leaves and finds somebody that owes him money. He owes him a third of a year's wages. If you make $60,000 a year, he owes you $20,000. That's not a small amount of money, but it's not comparable to the debt that was just forgiven. And what does he do? He punishes this man that owes him 20000 He forgets about the fact that he owed the king a billion. We need to see the gospel in our lives. And if, if we could see the gospel, that God has forgiven me everything. It is literally impossible. Amy and I have been together 30, almost 35 years. It is literally impossible for that woman to ever sin against me as much as I've sinned against God. We can live another 40 years together, I doubt it. Um, I won't live that long, probably. But she will still never sin against me. As much as God, I've sinned against God, and God has forgiven me everything. And if God has forgiven me everything, why can I not offer that forgiveness to each other? Listen well in your anger. Be slow to speak. Remember God's gospel. Trust him. Follow Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, there is so much here, and I, I hope I didn't feel like a fire hydrant to people here. And if, if I did, I pray that you would help them to grab onto what is most important for themselves. What is most important for us to do is this, to stop looking outward at the evil that is around us before we look inward. Scripture tells us to look at the log in our own eye first before we ever deal with the speck in somebody else's. It's interesting that Jesus used that, that analogy. If I really looked at the thing as big as a log in my own eyes and looked at the other person's sin as a speck, maybe I would handle them differently. But we do exactly the opposite. We deal with their log and we see ourselves as a speck. Please forgive us. Lord, thank you for your, your mercy to us. Thank you for your anger, which is good. 
Help us to display an anger towards the evil that's around here in a good way. Father, help us to be more importantly focused on the anger that's within our own hearts, the sin. Father, thank you for your son. Because what he did for us is that he came out of the throne room of heaven. And he came down here on earth to live a life that we could never live. He died a death that we deserved. He took your anger upon himself. Praise you, Lord. When Satan tempts us to despair and wants to tell us of all the guilt that's within, help us to look upward and see him there who made an end to all our sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is not only forgiven, but it is counted free. God, you're the just. You're satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Do that for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. For the throne. For the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written. And on his heart, I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thanks depart. No tongue can bid me thanks depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on him and again. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the hill within, upward I look and see him there, who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted To look on him and pardon me To look on him and pardon me Behold him there, the risen lamb I 
perfect spotless righteousness the great unchangeable I am the king of glory and of grace one with himself I cannot die my soul is purchased by his blood my life is hid with Christ on high with Christ my savior and mine one with himself one with Self, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the message this morning and for the worship that we just got to partake in. God, I just, I ask that you would help us to take this message with us into this week. Help us to rightly relate to our anger and to recognize that it's first us that we need to deal with before looking horizontally and more importantly, looking upward at you to start that relationship. God, we just thank you for this time and uh, ask that you bless us as we go. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a good week.